If you've had automating your ASP.NET deployments on your to-do list, now's a great time to give Octopus Deploy a try. The starter edition lets you install Octopus on your own infrastructure and deploy to IIS web servers, Azure websites, and pretty much anything from Node to Kubernetes, and they just made it free for small teams. Give your team a single place to release, deploy, and operate software with Octopus Deploy. Find out more at octopus.com. Well, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We are back in London. Observing Westminster Abbey from it's our loft here. Literally right there. Right across the street. We have these big windows. We can look out at people, you know, coming very, and going. Very civilized. Very, very, very civilized, yes. This is one of the last days uh, of uh, the European UK right. as we know it. Yeah. The next, the next, we happen to be here right at the end of January. And so, yeah, we are, I guess, to witness the Brexit, so to speak. Well, I won't, I'll be on a plane oh, you're to going Stockholm, home. right? You know, I'll probably, I'll probably, uh, not land before it is no longer a member of the EU. It's really sort of a starting point, right? Sure. There's a bunch of things that transition. It takes all of 2020, essentially. Yeah. It's going to be like, what, 11 months or something? Something to, like that. Yeah. And people get a chance to make a decision on, whether they're staying in the UK or the EU, right. certain benefits. Like, it's complicated. I'm kind of glad we don't have to deal with it being, you know, in North America. <laughs> well, I, I have to deal with other stuff. Though, yes. There's you know. plenty of things to deal plenty with. Plenty of things to deal with. Anyway, let's roll the crazy music for the Better Know a Framework segment of our show. Go awesome. Ahead. All right, dude, what do you got? Richard, you're my age. Mm, it's Almost true. a month. Yeah, like a month, month apart. Right? Do you remember the Viewmaster viewer? You mean like the little rotary thing with the round color and it's sort of 3D? That's right. Yes. Yes. Now, That's the, from like, like the 50s and 60s, man. It's not even from our era. Exactly. Exactly. Same but shit. I mean, but when we were kids, they it, were it still. It was a thing. They were still pretty cool. Yeah, they were old then. They were old then. All right. And this being a show about view. Mm. I'm no. Oh no! This like is where you went. These two old guys are talking about old the stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, so it turns out ViewMaster is still around, but they actually have a virtual reality ViewMaster. Okay. Now it uses your phone, and you slip your phone ah, into right, okay. the ViewMaster, and then your screen sort of splits in half, so you get each eye. Right, and then they have an app. Google had a card. The cardboard was that same yeah, sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, that's right. But they actually have yeah software and things. Yeah. So the ViewMaster Virtual Reality Starter Pack. That's funny. Twenty bucks on Amazon.com. Here I'll show Gwen so she can see what it looks like. Wow, it's, it's very retro looking. It looks like a kid's toy. It is a kid's toy, yeah. But it's also the idea that oh, you know, we'll use the ViewMaster brand to promote this virtual reality, right? Because all the kids know about ViewMaster. <laughs> Never heard of it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and now Richard and I feel like two old guys. <laughs> Uh, so it's a kid-friendly device. It'll surround you with stunning 360-degree environments, so you feel as if you are really there. You download one of the ViewMaster VR apps into your smartphone, slide your smartphone into the viewer, look at the preview reel, and simply click the lever to launch yourself into 360-degree immersive experiences. 
then you have that great look of having, you know, like a giant pair of ski goggles across your face. Oh, and yeah. You, and you get to say, wow, and look around. Oh, yeah. Every, no, everybody looks awesome with VR goggles on. Right. And then, and then they like feel for stuff like yeah, in their it, environment. Yeah. You know, they're waving their danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. yeah. Until sooner or later, they trip over the dog. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Anyway, that's what I got. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grab the Common Top of Show 1488. That's all the way back in October of 2017. Wow. So a couple of years back. It's a show we did about building web apps in view with Sean Wildermuth. Yeah. And long enough ago that it's, this is probably a little unfair as well because, you know, frameworks evolve, things change. Right. Uh, this particular comment comes from Morgan who says, thanks for a great show. You've mostly spoken about Vue in the context of the simple non-webpack setup. Mm. I think I would agree that is my preferred way to use it, but I get the impression it is mostly intended as a gateway to using it the, quote, proper way. Oh. You mentioned that everybody that you run into uses Vue in that simple setup, but most of the tutorials and discussion I find around on the internet use the webpack setup. Do you think there's a mismatch between those being most vocal about it and those that use it the most? If so, I wonder what impact this might have on Vue moving forward. And specifically, I can't help but feel that the lack of mechanism for multi-file components is something that causes pain for non-webpack Vue developers and isn't likely to ever be introduced because of the option to use webpack. Hmm. And at the time, again, this is two years ago, Sean did comment back. It's like after a certain level of complexity, yeah, webpack can really help. And, and Gwen, I'm sure you can chime in on this at some if point. If only there was someone in the room that Some expert, yes. I know, strange. Huh? What comment. a concept. Yeah. Uh, and But Sean went on to say, I'm trying to avoid using more transpilers and packagers to keep my dev experience as simple as possible. But when you're working in a large code base, uh, jumping into Webpack, TypeScript, and so forth is kind of necessary. And my view of view, no pun intended, is that it's perfect for those small uses where a full-on spa isn't necessary. Yeah. Which, all right. I think that was a cool position. Fair enough. We can... Loop back on that. Morgan, thank you so much for your comment. I'm sure we'll talk about it further. And a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. 3D, please. <laughs> 3D tweets only. Yes. Jump right off the phone into your face. Okay. Uh, let's introduce Gwendolyn Faraday. She's with us. She's a software developer from Indianapolis, Indiana, who works mostly with web and blockchain technologies. And for fun, she dabbles in various programming languages, works on random IoT projects, and makes apps that help people learn or build good habits through gamification. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Yep. Thanks for being here. Is it, I mean, again, I was reading a comment from two years ago. I'm sure views moved along a fair bit from there, but webpack still sort of the, okay, so you're going to be a grown up with multiple people working on this thing. Webpack's a necessary part of the equation. Yeah, definitely. And about that comment. So a few years ago, Vue hadn't really become popular in the West. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people were either using it as beginners or as a kind of a easy drop in lightweight replacement for jQuery. Right. Which view is interesting as a framework because it can be used as a lightweight library. You can pull it in through a CDN and just start working off of it, which is great. The default syntax is HTML and JavaScript, CSS. But most people and every professional application I've ever worked with, view, definitely had a webpack setup. The nice thing about view 
is that it kind of, I think it learned from the madness of setting up a React app a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. And by default, it sets up a really nice scaffolded app with its CLI. It takes you through a wizard. You can either use a GUI or do it in the terminal. And the wizard will let you choose the options that you want in your application. Do you want unit testing, state management, routing, anything else? And it gives you a boilerplate app. And all you have to do is run the server and it just works. So we should maybe talk a little bit about Webpack for people who don't know. It's a module bundler. Is that basically, does that cover everything it does? Or does it do Definitely doesn't that? cover everything. Webpack is... A massive tool that does many things for you, but in essence, it does bundle your modules together and output CSS, JavaScript, and static files for you. Okay. So, rather than having to have lots of little files all over the place, you make a bundle and it just Basically. all downloads together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, as soon as you... I like the repeatability, right? Just sort of, I've got a group of people trying to work on something and we have a lot of different files, new things being made all the time. How do you, or how are you sure when you put together a build, you've got all the bits and you can move it around accurately? Like chasing broken installs is a huge problem. And these are just tools that make it simpler to make sure you do get repeatability. At the downside of getting started is harder. Well, and the other problem is just because things are bundled doesn't mean they're still can't in, they still can't independently break. Right. Or be wrong. Or be right? wrong. You can now you have a bundle of wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's any fixing for the bundle of wrong problem. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but it, I, again, it's like once you get a bundle of right, it's easier to keep that bundle together. <laughs> yes. Bundle of right, bundle of wrong. I guess, should we do a little recap on Vue? I'm yeah, going to talk sure. about it in a while. How do you explain Vue to the, to the newcomer? So, Vue calls itself a progressive framework. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you can use as little of it as you want or as much as you want. It takes a middle-of-the-road approach. So, you have one side, which is called batteries included, where you have, I'd say, Angular and Ember. It tells you this is how you're going to do it. It's a very opinionated approach, yes. right? But it's also well documented and you don't have to make those extra decisions when you're planning out your application. Yeah. On the opposite end of the spectrum, there's what you call micro frameworks or libraries as React calls itself, which is very small and only does a few things for you and everything else you have to make decisions about. Mm -hmm. And there's no official way to do it. So the official documentation doesn't recommend MobX over Redux one way or the other for state management. There's not even an official router for React. Wow, React okay. router cleverly named itself so <laughs> that it seems like the official router, but it's actually made by another group. Right. Mm. So where you have view in the middle where it's opinionated enough that it gives you an official documented way to do everything. And the core team makes it state management view X mm -hmm. as well as view router and internationalization and many other libraries, view test utils, et cetera. And, but they give you the option. You don't have to use that. You the can officially, swap in exactly. the React router if you want. I suppose so. I don't know that you would, but yeah. 
I'm not sure if it would work, but it might because Vue being very flexible actually allows you to write in JSX if you want. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you don't have to use the default HTML template. So mm -hmm. I wonder if React Router would then work with Vue. Maybe. Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't make it a good idea. But Probably I, not. I'm, I mean, I do feel like we're at a time in our industry where we're preferring quite opinionated libraries, not... Nobody needs another do-everything library. Yeah, I think people are really tired of decision fatigue, mm -hmm. which is why a that. lot of people like Vue because of the approachability. In fact, that's the number one reason why people say they choose Vue because of, like I mentioned, the CLI. You can just click a few buttons or choose a few options in the terminal, and yep. you have a whole application with Webpack and everything set mm. up and ready to go. Yeah, you're not battling the getting up and going side of this. Yeah. You quickly to hello the hello world and then start building some things. Exactly. And you haven't gone down a path of, you know, three months of work later, you're like, ah, we misconfigured this at the beginning and now we're going to have to take it apart and try and reassemble it again. Yeah. Uh, and um, do you also see more interplay? Like if you have a very opinionated library and you need some of the capability, there's some other library that can be added to that? Yeah, there are definitely a lot of other libraries. The great thing about Vue is that it kind of learned from the lighter weight frameworks like React mm -hmm. that you, you know, if you don't force people into decisions, then a great thriving community of people who make all these different tools for your ecosystem appears. Right. And there's more active users and people creating like UI component libraries and all that stuff for your community. So let's talk about that Vue ecosystem because it is obviously a strength. And, and I like that Vue, you know, has that second mover advantage that they've learned from other people's mistakes and trying to pick this middle path. Yeah. Um, is any of this retail? Is it all open source? It's ecosystem? all open source. 100%. Yes. It's wow. by the community for the community. Mm -hmm. Although plenty of people selling consulting services and like there's business to be had. Oh, yeah. Just not providing you know, libraries. Yeah, there's Vue School and Vue Mastery and Vue Workshops all over the world. There's Vue Conf in every different continent just about mm -hmm. now. Wow. You, you know, you made the point earlier that Vue is getting traction in the West. Was it stronger somewhere else first? Yes. So it grew heavily in China from when it came out with the original launch in on February 3rd, 2014. Hmm. And then... Companies like Alibaba and I think it's pronounced Baidu started using it in China. Mm -hmm. So the popularity exploded. The problem was a lot of the docs and tools and resources were in Chinese. Well, my goodness. Okay. Yes. And I think that people from the West saw that. Yeah, suddenly the English speakers are shocked because what they've been doing to everyone else for years suddenly happened exactly. to them. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any market for, for view components that you can just plug into your app? Oh, yeah. So, and just about any major JavaScript framework now has dozens and dozens of UI component libraries that you can just plug in and go. You can use material design or um, custom designs, of course, bootstrap, all of those. A lot and of these are open source, though. Are there any, is there anybody selling them? So, there are companies that I've seen that give you boiler plates like you want to build a dashboard i have all these dashboard components ready for you to buy okay and i think that's really useful yeah that's really interesting 
And yeah, and, and it's not like it was invented in China. It just happened to catch on with some important sites there. And yes. suddenly that's where the momentum was. The creator was Chinese, though. Okay. I'm not sure if he was living in China at the time. He was working for Google. Yeah. And his English is impeccable. So I think he was working or living in the West at one mm -hmm. point, maybe in Silicon Valley, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, probably in the Valley with all the Angular guys at the time. And yeah, was he first was name on Deja? Angular. But nice. No. Decided to strangle it. Evan, <laughs> if you need to know. Okay, thank you. Evan, you who made Vue. Okay. I want to say that one place where Vue does really stand out in the component world is in accessibility. Mm, so. Front end has become so complicated, it's really difficult to know all the different aspects. Sure. And, you know, the screen readers and ARIA tags and all these different things you have to know about when you're building an application. So if someone on your team doesn't know or you're on a small team, how are you going to remember all those things? Well, you're probably looking them up all the time or just not including them in your app. Well, we'll, do, we'll do it later, right? It's easy to retrofit accessibility yeah. in, isn't it? We'll oh, test later. Yeah. We'll do that later. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. No, so Vue has something called Vue Tensils, which you can wrap. Uh, my head will explode at some point with all these puns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just, sorry, so I just learned short. about kebab case. So, <laughs> do you know about this? No. So, you know, Pascal case and camel case. Sure. Well, kebab case has dashes in the middle, like a kebab. <laughs> like you're skewering the word. I didn't even think about that. I've just <laughs> heard the word kebab case for so long. That I've <laughs> That's interesting. Sorry, I totally we were talking it. about okay. view tensils. Yeah, yeah. View tensils. That's when my eyes started to twitch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically a library that you can use. You can uh, wrap your components in it, and it gives you all of these accessibility features mm. with its API, and you don't have to know what's going on under the hood. You don't have to memorize all of the different accessibility options for your app. And so the idea of sort of on by default, that as you're building any UI element, the accessibility mm. features are there. Yeah. And maybe sort of poking you for additional information like... Write the description for the image, you lazy bum. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Those kinds of things, which is great. You know, that we, I like the idea that we're being pushed to do the right thing. Yeah. And it, the, the path of least resistance is including all of that. And it's becoming easier and easier. Yeah, it helps. Good tools make a difference, right? And we, we sort of help us along that way, even if they do have to use puns for names. <laughs> try, not, try not to hold it again. View is just three letters long, so I think it's really easy. To, to say like future and <laughs> think view and yes. all these other I mean, things. You've got that monosyllable. You can yeah. do terrible things with it. Doesn't yeah. mean you have to <laughs> or should, but it's all there. Um, any preferred dev environment? How do you like building view? You know, VS Code, Studio, VMAX? <laughs> so I use VMAX. That's funny. So I, <laughs> I'm a Vim user actually. Okay. Um, but I do use VS Code now, which I think is the best product Microsoft has ever made. Wow. I wasn't a big Microsoft user previously, but sure. they've done so many great things in open source. So I tried VS Code and I fell in love with it. They have a great debugging environment yeah. and the view, um, tooling in there, the high syntax highlighting snippets and things are just wonderful. Yeah, that view, the editor experience for different languages with this code is just always astonishing. Yes. Really, I mean, I'm tinkering with Python and I'm terrible at it, but 
boy, VS Code helps you down the right path. Like it's it's really amazing. I was going to say, I use Python in VS Code now instead of PyCharm. Right. And the debugging experience is great. Yeah. It just points right where you put the wrong number of spaces. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know why I know that. If only it could f- fix some of the <laughs> issues with JavaScript. The funniness. Hey, no, that's that's funniness. crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> what issues with JavaScript? What yeah, JavaScript doesn't that? have issues. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it's just grab VS Studio, get the view extension pack, you're off to the races in a pretty good editing environment. Yeah. Do you really need anything else? Like what, what's, what's getting started with you really look like? I mean, obviously we talked about Webpack a bit where that kind of hovers around you as soon as you get to a certain level of organization. Are there other like must have tools? So if you're just getting started, the best place to start is probably in JS Fiddle or in just pulling in the CDN. Mm-hmm. If you want to graduate from there or make um, not a real application, but more of a production application that you're going to use for something, you can download the CLI. Right, the Vue CLI. Yeah, and use either the default setup or walk through the wizard to set up your application. And then you just... NPM run serve and the application can be opened in your browser. At that point, you're going to want to get the view dev tools. What's really nice about the view dev tools is that it includes tooling for the router, state management, events, your application components. You can traverse through all the components, see the component state and props and methods and everything like that all in one place. Nice. Yeah. So you get to buildable page. Start to do the start experimenting. What's that component model like? And I'm thinking, is this bundling your CSS and and functional JavaScript and so forth essentially together? So it does that for production build when you're going to push to production. You can push the JavaScript, CSS, etc. But when you're in development mode. Then when you're using the dev tools, you can see the individual components right. mm. in your um, development tree. So you can kind of traverse and click on this is where app.view is, this is form.view, this is input.view, and kind of get granular with all the different components that you've made. Okay. So you're able to navigate your page from a conceptual level, not just from a line-by-line code level. Yes. That's kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. Helps yeah. me helps me stay organized. What do new ex, what what do experienced web devs who haven't used Vue before really struggle with? I think what well from my perspective what I struggled with was coming from using so many different frameworks, being a little burned out, looking at Vue the first time and thinking this is so weird it combines like syntax from directives from angular and dependency injection and then over here it's got kind of a react setup Hmm. uh, rendering the view in the same component where it has the logic so it was just kind of this weird conglomeration of things so i think just the initial getting past the looking at it and trying it the first time and kind of playing around with it it's sort of that sort of engineer's tendency to say, this is like, and trying to quickly make that judgment so you know which path to go down as opposed to just run with it. I would almost think a less experienced web person would jump in more happily and, you know, not know how strange their world was. Yeah, I think that's definitely been the case. 
for a lot of view users. It's just discard your baggage. Everything you know, don't worry about it. It's okay. It does seem like we freeze in time from when we start development. It's yeah. like, this is how things should be. This is how things are. You know, your view and your logic are separate. Why are they together now? Yeah, it's, it's offensive, right? Yeah. Well, I'm still trying to get over my CGI interfaces, so what are we going to buy? But, I mean, definitely when you think about web developers as a whole, it's just like, look, the CSS lives over here and the and the JavaScript lives over there and the HTML lives over here. And what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> why, is, why are you doing that? I think people have slowly realized that instead of organizing by type, mm -hmm. uh, it's much better and much more intuitive to organize by feature. Right. Like, yeah. here's my cart and all the functionality, data, and view that goes with my cart all in one place instead of here's all my HTML, here's all my CSS, here's all my JavaScript, and then I have to kind of, you know, command F or whatever, mm -hmm. find things in these big files. Kind of like real programming. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I mean that with love. Sure you do. And uh, if you can just hold that thought there for a minute, I know that's not a really great thought to hold, but uh, hold your thoughts for just a second while we take a break for this very important message. You know, client-side Blazor should be baked by May, according to Microsoft. Now's the time to jump into server-side Blazor so you'll be ready. Spend an entire day with me building a real app complete with components, API controllers, authentication and authorization, JavaScript, interop, and signal R. The next classes are this Monday, December 16th, and again on Friday, January 3rd. If you can't make either of those dates but still want to learn, you can purchase the materials, which guide you step-by-step -step with text, screenshots, and code that you can copy and paste. You also get an eight-hour screen video from the last workshop, so you can follow along at your own pace. Go to blazer.appvnext.com and get the goods. All right, we're back. It's Carl Franklin, that's Richard Campbell, and that's Gwendolyn Faraday. We're talking View at NDC London. And, um, you know, what's your, what was your first impression getting started with View? It's a little bit different, likes to put everything in one place, which is, which is cool. Um, but it sounds like, you know, coming from a, um, a, a framework burnout place that you were pleasantly surprised by View, obviously, because you stayed, you stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that do you think that most people have that experience with Vue? I think a lot of people, when you look at the ratio of developers on these surveys like Stack Overflow and the state of JS, developers who said that they had tried Vue and want to use it again is very, very high. The mm. only other comparable framework is React, I think. Mm -hmm. So people do love Vue and its ecosystem and community. Yeah. And, and that's, that's always a good sign. Can you point to big, sophisticated applications built in view that, you know, when we start talking about that sustainability problem, you know, that in my mind, that's what happened to Angular, that, that one point X period where, yeah, small stuff, that was fine. But when you got to a certain place, you're like, this is now a ball of, of tar and anybody who touches it has problems and they re-architect to try and get away from that. How well does view cope when the app gets big? So that's a great question, and that's actually something they are addressing in View 3.0. Interesting. The alpha just came out three weeks ago, and the production-ready 3.0 version will come out in the next few months, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So one problem with 
scaling an application, which I've experienced some of working in Vue for the last couple of years, is that because it has this options API, mm-hmm. which is a bunch of options. There's a bunch of options objects that you pass in. So here's an object of all your methods. Here's your lifecycle functions. And over here is your data. And you have it organized by option, not by feature. So that got really messy at scale. And kind of the way that the front-end community has been handling this for a little while Mm. is when you want to break up your your components, your front-end, you make another component. Right. But to artificially make another component where you don't need one hurts performance. And there's no reason to do that. You should be able to separate logic from the component without having to create a whole nother component and a whole nother view and everything. Right. And they get into this trap of component as container of anything. So, yeah. And it's just too much weight. It <laughs> is. And that's why they came up with this new functional composition API. Hmm. So it basically adds another method called setup to the same object that's already used in view to handle all of your options. And then you can access all of Vue's low level APIs inside of these functions mm-hmm. and then add reactivity manually to objects. If you want, you can organize everything by feature, pull it out of the component and still have access to all of the APIs and reactivity of the view instance, mm. which is really nice. And it helps with code reusability. Yeah. Too. So I was thinking that you've got a composability feature, almost in like an aspect feature then, mm-hmm. where as soon as I see, I'm going to repeat this behavior across a few components. Well, let's pull it out as that options function and they can just call into it with setup across all of them. And it's one piece of code. Yeah. For that. That's really interesting. And it's a great compensating effect. So that sort of when you hit a re-architecting moment, you sort of push it back going, hey, we keep doing this. Can we put it in one place? Yeah. You wouldn't want to go so far as to push it into some kind of base class and try and inherit into it retroactively. That sucks. Yeah. But as a composed, as a new composition element to say, okay, we're going to use this as part of setup, you know, when 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 each component comes into existence and you can have a chunk of code running there. So you can have functions, but also properties. They call props. Is that what those are? In yeah. These? So props are uh, the data and everything that are received into a component. Right. And then you have access to it inside of the, the setup method. Yeah. yeah. How testable is a view app? So I would say UI testing in general is very finicky. Terrible. Yeah. Just, but actually, let's not even make it qualify with web. Ever tried to build a test harness for a WPF app? Anything. Like, kill me. Yeah. It's so awful. Right. WebForms was not that bad just because of the way it was composed. Well, if you're doing a, an MVVM app, it's a lot more testable. Better. Yeah. But, but you're not actually testing the UI. You're no, because you test the stuff that's easy to test. Right. UI is never easy to test. Right. But can, so do you have a, an ability to get away from the UI side and test uh, the other aspects of the code? Yeah, especially if you're doing it functionally, like with this new API, that makes right. it all the more testable, making right. it functional. So I have had ups and downs with view testing. There are several different types of testing. I try to get all of my major functionality tested. And then there's also something on the front end called snapshot testing. Okay. 
um, which helps prevent unintended side effects. So after you build a component, let's say you have a search box and you take a snapshot of how that looks rendered in the DOM. Right. And then you run that snapshot test, save the snapshot, and then anytime you update any component, any other component in the whole app, you run that same set of tests. And if some of the snapshots don't match up, meaning they didn't render the same way, you can see, oh, did I unintentionally change something? Modify style, you know, impact. Yeah, that impacted this Mm -hmm. particular element. And then you can realize it and kind of fix it. At least points the way. You can even acknowledge that's a change that's fine, but at least you have a sense of this now renders differently. Yeah. That's all right. Mm -hmm. And, of course, always the thing is we're doing a facelift on the website and every single test is broken now. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just like, I really want to throw all those out and start over. Like, we wrote a lot of tests there. Yeah, which helps when you break down things into small components, small functions. Yeah, and like when I hear you say component, I'm like, oh, good. So I can test that component on its own. Yeah. But I guess snapshots are the way to go about doing that. Yeah, but snapshots will still, you'll still test by component because you don't want to snapshot a huge monolith and then it's going to break every time. Yes, it's a way to build a test that always fails. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate it. So it's not, it's just, but it is something integrated into the view dev tool stack. It's just this, this snapshot capability and ability to build out some structure there. So it's not a part of view dev tools necessarily, okay. but most people will use Jest with view test utils plugin made by the core team. Right. Just making sure I get all these links. This is all right. good stuff. Um, and any, you know, the sort of classics like Cypress and things so that are they appropriate for a view app? Yeah. So view CLI will set up Cypress or Nightwatch for mm-hmm. you to do end-to-end testing. And then people can also, you know, use what protractor or whatever you want for testing in there. Right. And you were talking DI earlier as well. So it's like you already should be laying out your code in a way that you can take bytes and spin them through some unit tests. Yeah. All right. Everyone says they test. Some oh, people so test. the biggest lies. They're trying to make it easier to test so more people test. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things to look at when I'm looking at a framework like this is how hard is it to retrofit tests into it? Like we're that you know, person's moved on. We want to take control of the code. And one of the ways we sort of get a feel for it is we start trying to insert tests into it. At some point, we understand the code well enough that we abandon the effort of actually building mm-hmm. useful tests. But that might be a cynical perspective on this. I think one nice thing about Vue is that every time they do an upgrade, mm-hmm. like Vue 3 coming out, they make it as backwards compatible as possible. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see like an Angular 1 to Angular 2 type breaking change where right. everything has to change. No, you can keep your same code. It still works. You know, the options API that you've been using hasn't been deprecated. You right. can optionally use the new stuff and you can optionally use the old stuff. You can choose what you want. It's interesting. And again, I feel like the Angular 1X to Angular 2 was a unique situation in that, you know, the Angular folks just came to appreciate we'd kind of bought this the wrong way and we had to put it differently. And every framework since has learned from just how hard that was. It's Mm -hmm. like, you really want to avoid that mistake. Yeah. I mean, one would argue, shouldn't they've just renamed Angular at that point? It was a different product. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think they might have because everyone had that bad taste. 
Yeah. And, it, and, and they're still trying to shake it off to some respects, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the Angular 1X changeover is almost like what happened with Silverlight. Like just sort of, right. like, why are you leaving us? What did we do to you? <laughs> but, Silverlight. Uh, yeah. I mean, of course, now the what, Angular 7 or 8. Some, something up there. I haven't been following yeah, it's just, yeah, it's since Angular fire, 6. Yeah. Uh, momentum there. But, you know, you know, they broke ground for what I consider enterprise class web development for better or worse have you have you been following the web assembly thing at yes all? i have i've been very interested in it i love the idea that mm -hmm. you could use now python for data science just natively in the web the rust mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. has a big following go. in web assembly yeah go C -sharp, lang. obviously yeah 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 we're in spooky times in webland it's like hey yep. just the browser is a container for code container for everything yeah it's exciting. It feels almost like React Native and NativeScript Vue now, mm -hmm. where you can program in JavaScript, but then also have native code embedded in it. And now right. you're going to be able to do that in the web. You have, you're going to have JavaScript applications, mm -hmm. and then you're going to have a lot of more performant code doing the heavy lifts, lifting running in the browser, which yeah. is awesome. Pretty cool. Should we talk a little bit about Vue Natives? So also a way to... To specifically for mobile, right? The yes. native approach? Yes. And you said native script when you're talking about the Telerik product? So native script is a native cross-platform mobile tool. Right. You can basically use it with plain JavaScript, with Angular, probably some other frameworks, and now you can use it with Vue. Right. Native script Vue hit 1.0 a year ago. And it's awesome. Hmm. You're, so you are doing mobile development this way? Yes. Okay, that's cool. Um, I was a big React Native user because right. I could just copy-paste my React code mm -hmm. over to Native and then make some yeah. updates, especially around the UI. I Ionic was one of the older ones, right? Well, Ionic is PhoneGap. Yeah. That's, that's a hybrid. So it's hybrid more of the hybrid thing. approach. You have the standard yeah. host. Right. But it is JavaScript-based, isn't it? Yeah, but you are running in JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. But both React Native and now Vue Native, they're mm. actually compiling as standalone apps. Yeah. For better or worse. I mean, welcome to the App Store. Woohoo. Right. Yeah. But the idea that you get to work in the way you want to work and quite possibly take code you were, you, that you're building your, your mobile website from mm. and run it as an app. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's awesome. Cool. And Vue, you can really reuse a lot of code between native and your web application. I kind of think that component approach makes that easier. Yeah. And React really spearheaded that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they, it was really sort of a very fundamental sort of breakthrough thing. It's like, yeah. can we really make this work? Mm. Well, I guess there's Electron out there too. It's just another. That's more for desktop applications. Yeah, for desktop rather yeah. than for mobile. But you can use Vue with Electron as well. So using Vue as the sort of component model to build the UX, but running in an Electron host? Yeah. I've never used it, but I've tried Vue with a similar desktop tool called NWJS, which was a precursor to Electron. Right. And it works mm. beautifully. 
Yeah, you know, there's JavaScript. There's kind of <laughs> everywhere, isn't yeah. it? Right. Well, yeah. everybody's got to have a project, you know. But it's it's also interesting. Like, if you're really starting greenfield, you've got a young person who's getting into development. Right. I mean, how can you steer them to anything other than JavaScript? I can. Knowing there's all these choices, <laughs> all these yeah. different ways they can take that skill. Yeah. Learn certain frameworks. No, you're and right. Go to all of these different corners where we we need applications. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not happy with any mobile development solution. I still think they're too flipping hard, but yeah. I'm willing to look at the new ones. One interesting thing about Native Script View is not only Vue's ease of use, but mm-hmm. that in a Native Script, it has 100% API coverage by default, which, mm. I mean, Xamarin, I think Xamarin does too, but with React Native, it sometimes takes a while and they have to implement certain features, but native script mm. is just set up a little bit differently. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there, you're less surprises when the new updates come along. Yeah. Stuff keep, just keeps working. Yeah. Oh, interesting times. Um, where can folks learn more if they haven't dove into view so far? What are they, what should they be looking at? The view documentation is absolutely second to none. It Great. is what every, piece of documentation wants to be nice so even if you're not into view i think you should still look at the view documentation it has code samples advanced use cases in-depth knowledge and easy getting started guide just everything is there and it's but it's basically built on github like lots of people have contributed to those docs yeah and they also now have a cookbook that they've been putting out new examples for uh, with recipes. So basically, if you want to learn how to test in view, they have this example already built for you. So you can nice. see mm. how to do all these different things. Great, great way to approach it. It's yeah. not, again, I think what, if nothing else they've done is a great job of how you build out an ecosystem to make the product as good as it can be. Oh, yeah. If you look at how jQuery became the number one most popular, I think, coding library of all time, mm-hmm. it's still pervasive on the web. For sure. Why? Because it was so easy to use. Yeah. They made it simple. They grew a great community around it. Right. And it just worked. And it, the terminology used in jQuery was just the first thing that came to your mind. How do I show this on the page? Dot show. Right. How do I hide it? Dot hide. It was just so easy to use, and Vue took a lot from the jQuery example and kind of made it as easy as possible, as inclusive as possible, so everyone could just get started, and the naming conventions weren't some computer science term that you had to learn and really understand, like, what is this? Right. You you could just get started. Yeah, Yeah. that's smart. It's made for humans, basically. What a concept. Yeah. (laughs) The idea that programmers are humans. There's a cheap thought all by itself. Well, some of us speak for yourself. Okay. I come from Planet Orc. Anyway, uh, Gwendolyn's been great having you here, and I wish you all the best of luck in the future. Thank you. This was great. It's awesome stuff. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. 
visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a